0: Good morning. (laughs) Our scripture this morning is from Psalm 13. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there. I'll be reading it here for you uh, this morning. Psalm 13, verses 1 through 4. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Just about as long as man has been in existence, we have had bad days. We have had problems come up that we don't know how to deal with. We have had difficult people stroll into our lives and make things harder. We have experienced illness, failure, poverty, cruelty, despair, and many other unpleasant words, which leads me to believe that the old adage may in fact be true. Life is hard. But those, this goes against one of our most based instincts, this idea that life is hard. We don't think that life should be hard. And when it is, for those who believe in God, and even, or should I say, especially for those who do not believe in God, there is a question that rises to the surface almost every time. And that question is the same one that we read in multiple forums just a moment ago. God, where are you? Where are you when I am hurting? Where were you before this hurt started? Where are you now? When will you make this stop? We have expectations, you see, of God stated or unstated, somehow we got it into our heads that having having a God means that we should experience an overwhelming lack of difficulty. That because God is on our side, things should not go wrong. Things should not fail. Things should not disappoint us. And many Christians and non-Christians alike believe that if someone were to give their faith and their life to God, then God should actively prevent bad things from happening to his children. At the very least, we believe that when we experience pain, that God should alleviate that pain, that he should take it away, that he should always heal in the way we think he should, That he should always set things right in the way that we desire. This is a real frustration. So before you try to put those feelings away, because I know that all of you have had them, we have all felt this way, let them rise to the surface for a moment. When we are in the middle of something hard, Perspective is hard to find, isn't it? It's hard to see past the end of our own nose because perspective in the time of trouble is not usually a luxury we can afford. But the thing is that if we are able to step back, we would see that life, while wonderful, has in fact always been a challenge, and we would recognize that we are not the first to struggle with God's role in our suffering. This question has existed forever. In fact, there is an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, where someone laments over and over again about how they wish God would show up, how He would do things differently, how He would set things right, how He would put an end to whatever is going on. And perhaps someone would look at this kind of a book and they would say, see, this points to the absence of God altogether. God cannot exist at the same time as suffering. End of discussion. But in a world where life is hard, Perhaps the question of where God is, is in fact more complex and more simple than we want it to be. Perhaps there is more going on than just a question of whether we should or shouldn't suffer. Perhaps, in fact, there is something very human about suffering and something very God-like about what God does in the midst of our suffering. And perhaps there is something necessary that needs to happen in the act of crying out. We will not be the first to say it. You are not the first to think it. And we won't be the last. Where are you, God? Because I need you now. So, as Mike mentioned earlier, we are on week three of our campaign, How to Think Like a Christian. Uh, We have covered a lot of ground over the last couple of weeks, and so I want to remind you of a couple of things if you are uh, new here with us this morning. Um, All of the sermons are online along uh, with the notes that I have used to preach from. So, if you are interested in going back and listening to something or looking at what was said, or even after today, if I Uh, If I go too fast or (laughs) there's something that you really want to look up, I invite you to go to our website, and all the information uh, about what we're talking about is on there. Uh, We started our conversation with with a few key points, and so I want to review some of those basic things again with you really quick. Um, As Christians, uh, we work to live the kind of lives that God uh, would have us live. Jesus is our example And we model our lives after him and what we do, how we think, and so many different things. But while we listen to the voice of God for guidance, there are uh, a million other voices that are trying to influence us to get our attention and to take us away from the path that God would have us on. And so one of the ideas that we have introduced here uh, is that ideas are like viruses. And they're like viruses in two primary ways. The first one is... That they spread (laughs) like crazy. And sometimes, just like with a virus, you don't know that you have the virus until it manifests itself in some way. And it's the same thing with ideas. Ideas can spread uh, across uh, our world. They can take root. And sometimes we're not even aware that they're there until something negative comes up from them. The second reason or, or way that ideas are like viruses is that they are able to disguise themselves in such a way that they look good. They, they wrap themselves in pieces of the truth. And because they're wrapped in pieces of the truth, because it sounds like something that's right, because it sounds like something that's good or sounds even like something that would come from God, we accept it or adopt it. And the same way viruses wrap themselves in proteins. So, that when your body in- encounters them, it just thinks it's protein and takes it into your system. And before you know it, the virus has taken hold. We are influenced. Uh, we've been talking about five basic viewpoints. Uh, the first one is secularism, which claims that we can use human intelligence to control life and make it turn out the way we want. Uh, the second is Marxism, which declares that life is about capital. And the true path to peace and equality is through violent overthrow of all existing social structures, including government, economic systems, family, and religion. The third is postmodernism, which insists that objective, capital T, truth doesn't exist, only the subjective, lowercase t, truths we create for ourselves. Therefore, there really is no unifying truth. Everyone gets to decide for themselves. The fourth is new spirituality which asserts that a higher consciousness or God force is at the core of reality and the way to live the best life is to plug into that higher consciousness at all times. And then the fifth one is Islam, which teaches that everyone is born Muslim in submission to Allah and must conform to Islamic truth or be conquered through jihad, through holy war. And jihad is a war against uh, anything or anyone opposed to Allah and Islam. So those are the five viewpoints that we have been looking at, that we've been talking about how they influence our worldview, and more importantly, how they manifest themselves in all of these different kinds of conversations. So as Mike mentioned earlier, again, there are five questions that we are looking to answer throughout this series. The first one is, am I loved? If I were to disappear, would anyone miss me? And the answer we came to last week is yes, overwhelmingly we are loved. The second question, which we're going to look at today, is why do I hurt? Bad things have happened to me. Can I overcome them and find joy? The third question is, does my life have meaning? Is it possible for me to find direction in my life when it seems like I have no purpose? The fourth question, why can't we get along? What will it take for us to stop fighting and find harmony? And the fifth question, is there any hope for the world? So many things seem to be going wrong. Are we doomed? Now these questions in some way, shape, or form are questions that everyone on the face of the planet asks at some point. Why are things the way they are? Why is my life the way it is? Am I loved? Am I valued? When will we have peace? When will we find some sort of common goal? And the way that we answer those questions, the ideas that we put together to answer these things are what we call our worldview, the way that we see the world. Our worldview is the filter through which we look to answer all of these questions and more. And as Christians, our worldview, our filter is Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God. It's the instruction that God gave us in terms of how we are to live. But all of these ideas can be in conflict with the Word of God. And so our goal throughout this series has been and continues to be that we will know the difference, be able to tell the difference, between what comes from God and what doesn't. Amen? Now, to this week's question. Why do I hurt? Bad things have happened to me. Can I overcome them and find joy? There is a difficult reality that we have to face in order to have an honest conversation about this question. Uh, And that is this. Everyone suffers. To one degree or another. Everyone experiences pain in this life. Some may suffer more than others, but it's really hard to be objective about the amount of pain that different people have, right? But everyone experiences pain. Everyone experiences something like this. And when we suffer, generally speaking besides the elimination of our suffering, we are interested in two basic questions. What made this happen? And why did it happen? So we are almost always interested in causality and purpose. What made this happen? Is it God? Is it evil? Is the universe just random? And secondly, why did this happen? Is there, or reason, is there some greater purpose to this pain that I am going through? And when we do not have answers to those two questions, when we do not know the causality or the purpose, how do we generally feel about life? Confused? Lost? Hurt? Discouraged? Depressed? Depressed? We could go on, right? Within uh, Nisha's family, there are some um, recessive genes that Nisha fortunately has picked up on almost all of them. <laughs> She's a lucky girl. I mean, besides just being married to me, right? She's a lucky girl. But one of the recessive genes that, was, that is in her family is fibromyalgia. Now, Nisha's Aunt Julie is just one of my favorite people on the face of the earth. And um, she was walking to work one day and she was crossing the street and in a crosswalk and a car uh, knocked her over. So it it didn't run her over, but it knocked her over, which is enough. Can we all agree that to have a car knock you over is enough? And uh, they rushed her to the hospital and she was okay. But from that moment forward, the recessive gene came to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Julie is in so much pain so much of the time that there are moments where she has to actually sleep in hot water in a bathtub because there is no other way for her to be comfortable. And here's the most frustrating thing about this for Nisha, for us, for the family, for anyone who has to deal with this. Do you know what the reason is behind her pain? There is no reason. Her brain thinks that her body is in pain, even though there is nothing happening to her body. And it tells her nervous system that her body is in pain, and her nervous system reacts. Loud noises, changes in temperature, standing up for too long, any number of things can set it off. Now, I share that story with you, not to give you some sense of perspective, but can you imagine how frustrating that must be for her? To experience pain on that level almost all the time and for there to be no reason for it. What do we all desire when we experience pain? Purpose and causality. What made this happen and why is it happening? We've seen this come to, uh, to the forefront in our country uh, because of the events that happened last weekend in Las Vegas where uh, the guy opened up and killed 58 people. And what is the one thing that people are still looking for? Why? And there is no answer. I can't tell you. How many articles I saw this week where the headline was still looking for a reason, still looking for a motive, still looking for the why to this thing. These questions of causality and purpose become especially important when we bring God into the picture. Um, For those that believe in God, these questions of causality and purpose eventually turn into God's questions. When we hurt, we find ourselves asking, where is God in this? Why did God allow this? When is God going to stop this? What am I supposed to learn from this? And we read about God's great deeds and things that are are performed in the past and, and we read about how God is Is God over all things, how He is all-powerful? But in the middle of our pain, when God does not either keep it from happening or stop it immediately, we want to know where He is. Where are you when I am suffering? And pain and suffering is an attack on our relationship with God. Because maybe more than anything else, it calls into question the things that we think are true. Some of you may know from personal experience how much life changes through loss and suffering. Through experiencing a life-altering event that you never wanted to happen through not having answers to questions. Where is God when we hurt? Now this is a deep question and there are not any easy answers to this question. As much as we may explore, we are still going to be left with this tension when this morning is over. And many people over time have turned away from God or refused to believe in God Because of the very problem of suffering. If God is a loving God, they say, then he would not allow this to happen. Therefore, because suffering exists, God cannot exist. And then there's us. We on the other side of this God aisle, where when suffering happens, we feel this immediate pressure to provide an answer to the question, why? We believe that God is God of all things, correct? We believe that God knows what can happen, what, what will happen. We believe that God watches over us and walks with us. And so therefore, when we experience times of suffering, and in particular, When we hear other people ask the question of why would God allow this, we feel intense pressure to explain to them why God allowed something to happen. This is one of the worst things we could ever do, is explain to someone else why God allowed suffering in their life. For two reasons. One, we have no clue what the answer to that question is. We have no clue. And secondly, we can do a lot more damage by speaking for God than we can by just keeping our mouths shut. I feel strongly about this. I have all the feels about this particular issue. I do. Because I think sometimes God wishes we would just... It's, it's one of those, you know I love you, I think you're great, but shh. But we feel this pressure. Because the question comes up, where is God and what is God doing? And as those who believe in God, we feel like we need to speak up for him. And it gets down, even for us, when we deal with our suffering and pain, it gets down to this root. Okay? If we can figure out why something is happening, or what caused it, then we can make it stop, or at least by understanding it, we can endure it better. We, we have this this sense that this is what is true. But, but often our, our search for answers to this question about why we suffer can take us to very spiritually dark places where more questions just seem to come up. Let me tell you, as much as we may want to dismiss the point of view that says, if God loves me, then why does this happen? There is legitimate... There's a legitimate question there that the people of God can't just ignore. Pain is the signal that bad things are going on around us, that evil is at work in the world. And the Christian worldview needs to understand why there is pain, why there is suffering, And what God is doing and where he is in the middle of all of it. So something for you to think about. Do we as Christians have an answer to where God is in the middle of suffering? Yes. But... We need to be careful about how we share that answer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your power, for the fact that you are in all things, that you are before us, that you are behind us, that you are with us now. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom this morning as we explore pain in our world. And help us to understand, Father, not only where you are in the midst of our own suffering, but how we can show people who you are in the midst of theirs as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It strikes me that that's a big prayer. Sometimes you regret praying for things. I don't regret that, though. So what do the different worldviews say about suffering? What are some of the other answers that we see out there? Okay? And and this is, to me, of of the things that I've looked at so far, um, this week perhaps we have one of the most striking differences between what God offers and what everything else offers. Uh, So first, let's start with the secular worldview. Uh, The secular worldview uh, says that there is no spiritual realm, no ultimate good and evil. There is no higher cause or plan. Um, Some of you may have heard of Richard Dawkins, who is a pretty famous atheist. And he has stated, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. So secularism suggests that we quit asking why because the question is pointless. And instead, we focus on managing the pain so that we can regain control. The Marxist worldview um, says That all of reality is defined by this sort of revolutionary class struggle. Therefore, we experience pain because the rich have left us in misery by taking more than their share. So the solution, again, is to overthrow. Overthrow everything that keeps you down, the economy, the government, the family, the church, and by liberating yourselves from all of those institutions, you will free yourself from pain. It is interesting. The postmodern worldview says, there is no sure answer for why we endure pain and suffering. And here's their argument. They say, worldviews that promise an earthly paradise always let us down. And any religion that promises a heavenly paradise will disappoint us even more because you can't ever have it. Suffering is absurd, the postmodern worldview says. So we should embrace the absurd and quit expecting answers to questions that make no sense to begin with. This is how life is. Deal with it. The Islamic worldview has a very distinct answer. And this answer is one that we have to fight against. Okay? Because it also shows itself in Christianity. The Islamic worldview encourages people to stop asking questions about pain and suffering, but for a different reason that we, than what we have seen. To Islam, God is in complete control. He is responsible for the evil that occurs and owes us no explanation. To ask why evil exists is to ask the wrong question. You simply obey God and God does what he wants. Whether you like it or not. Um Kursid Ahmad, who is an is uh, Islamic writer, he says, Such a life of obedience brings in peace of the heart and establishes real peace in the society at large. So according to this worldview, what we should do about pain is obey God, and by obeying God, then maybe he will relent on the punishment we are experiencing by not obeying him more fully. But God does what he wants. Now, the new spirituality worldview is one that we're going to spend a little bit more time on today, but i I think perhaps you've already noticed that these four views that we just looked at actually have a great deal in common. Um, uh, first, they place the blame for suffering on some sort of undefined out there. Idea. Besides Islam, who says it's God, whether it's nature, or the rich or culture or God, there are outside forces that are causing you to suffer. Um, but secondly, there's nothing you can do about it except in Islam, again, which is to obey. And the only way really to eliminate pain and suffering um, is just to manage its physical symptoms and then overcome it by ignoring it. Or just accepting it as a fact of life. Or just accepting that it's meaningless or pointless. That there is. The universe is random. These things happen. Too bad it happened to you. And so here's what we see. The end result is. The end result. Is to blame something else. And to numb yourself. To what you're experiencing. That's the answer. Now, new spirituality says that everything that exists is one thing and therefore, if we are out of step with it, that is when we hurt. Um, best-selling author American, Marilyn Ferguson explained it this way. She said, health and disease don't just happen to us. They are active processes issuing from inner harmony or disharmony, profoundly affected By our states of consciousness, our ability or inability to flow with experience. Pain, disease, and listlessness, listlessness, that's hard to say, all come from failing to attain this inner harmony. So, and I actually had a conversation about this just a couple weeks ago with someone. And the basic premise of it is this. The universe, the power, the source of all energy is out there and the more in harmony you are with that thing, then the better your life will be. So you need to send out positivity into the universe. And the more positivity you send out, the more positivity you get back. But when your life falls out of sync with the universe, then you're sending out negativity. And when you send out negativity, then you're going to get what back? Negativity. So the real cause of your suffering is the fact that you are not in touch with the universe. So realign yourself with the universe, and when you do that, then you, everything will be better. And it was in, this conversation I had with it was really fascinating, um, but but she believed this very much. And, and she explained to me how her life had changed by putting positive things into the universe and positive things were coming back. But you know, the funny thing was was that she was still experiencing all kinds of problems. She had just started looking at it in a slightly different way. And the answer that she gave was that she was in touch with the universe and so that's why she was able to look at it. There's some holes in this thinking, just like in all the other ones we looked at. For example, people suffer accidents and all kinds of misery through no fault of their own. What about children that are born with birth defects? That haven't done anything at all to anyone. You know, um, for example, children that are born um, with uh, prenatal fetal alcohol syndrome because their parents drank so much while they were in the womb. So what is the answer for them if it's about what we're putting out into the universe? Does that child deserve to suffer simply because they're out of touch? So the idea that we see from all of these even, even with new spirituality, is that in order to gain the upper hand in our suffering, we need to admit that pain is essentially meaningless, and the best response is just to deal with it, learn to look at it in a different way, accept it, but you just move on. But here's the problem with that. We all know that pain is not just a physical experience, right? So while we might be able to treat whatever physical pain we have, there are other sorts of pain, emotional, mental, things that pull at us and hurt us in just as powerful a way. And so if we experience suffering on a mental or emotional level, then it seems to me that ignoring pain or trying to become numb to it is a pretty bad idea. Right? It's a pretty bad idea to try to reach a point where you just don't care anymore about what's going on. If we're hurting because we feel afraid or unloved or purposeless, then numbing the pain cannot make us feel better. Because what does it not do? It does not give us love, it does not alleviate our fear, and it does not give us purpose. It's completely reasonable to try to alleviate the physical suffering that we have But if pain has a spiritual source, then trying to alleviate it with physical remedies alone can cause more problems than it solves. And how many people have we read about, do we know, that we have met that try to treat their emotional pain through other substances? Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's pornography, whether it's any number of things, we have seen how trying to numb ourselves fails. Did you know that the suicides that most often get attention are those of teenagers, and we've seen too much of that. But as a group, and this is interesting to me at least, as a group, people in their 40s and 80s, men in particular, are most likely to commit suicide. What does that tell us? The longer something sits, the worse it can get. Midlife crisis, end of life. Now, here is then the ground floor for our spiritual discussion about suffering. We do need to turn the corner here. Um, God, and, and I'm sorry to say this, you all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Um, God never promised us that our lives would be without sorrow, trouble, heartache, persecution, or suffering. Never said that wouldn't happen. Never promised it never hinted at it, that is not something that comes from God. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, what is one of the hallmarks of passing from this world? It is a lack of suffering. A hallmark, a primary characteristic of leaving this world is a lack of suffering. God never said our life would be easy. Jesus was talking to his disciples about all the things that were going to happen to him, to them when Jesus left. He was kind, kind of trying to give them a rundown, the disciples weren't getting it, but can you imagine I understand honestly why they would choose to not to ignore Jesus on this point. I would. Because can you imagine how terrifying the idea of Jesus leaving must have been to his disciples? He is the man. They follow him wherever he goes. He's the one that helps them find places to stay, food to eat. He's the one that speaks with the authority of God. He is the one whose presence gives them purpose and meaning. And now he's saying he's going to leave. La, 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 right? So he's describing to this in John uh, chapter 16, describing to them what's going to happen. And listen to what he says. I have told you these things. He's gone through this list so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There are a lot of things that I love about this verse. And one of the first things is, I like how Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this for them or for us. In this world, you will have trouble. Things are going to happen. And in fact, Jesus in other sections goes on to describe in great detail how bad it's going to get for them. And it's going to get pretty bad. They will have trouble. But we don't have to exist numbing ourselves to that trouble because Jesus gives this very important statement. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What is the most important word in those verses? Overcome. That is the most important word there. The word in Koine Greek is this word. It should be up here. Nikeo. You might have heard of it. Uh, there's a whole brand of shoes called Nike. Um, Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. And that's one of the places where this word comes from. But get this. Nikeo does not just mean winning. It means outlasting the enemy in a way that deprives it of its power to harm. Outlasting the enemy, in a way that deprives it of its power to harm. Let's apply that for a second to what Jesus just said. In this world, you will face trouble. But I have taken away the ability of the world to harm you. So don't worry. Hurt doesn't win in Jesus' world. Hurt doesn't win. Jesus has overcome it. So that it cannot harm us anymore. It has been disarmed. Of its ability to rob us. Of what really matters. And it's not that things are perfect. Pain persists. But Jesus overcame. And therefore he. Extends to us. An identity which we should grasp. With all ten fingers. And ten toes. We are then overcomers. We are overcomers. But is God the cause of our suffering and what is the reason? We can't escape these questions. No matter how much we want to look at it, they are still there. So, couldn't God have prevented all this if he wanted to? Since he doesn't stop it, does that mean that he wants us to hurt and that we have to find this purpose? Remember, we're looking for purpose in our pain. So we have to say why it hurts and what God is doing. Well, here are some principles we need to keep in mind. Number one, God knows everything and can do as he chooses. We sometimes forget the second part of that in his godness. Okay? We like God knows everything But we want God to do as we choose. But he is God and we are not. So God knows everything and he can do as he chooses. He knows everything that is possible to know. Past, present, and future. He knows all truth. He believes no lies. He is perfect in knowledge. He is in charge and he will accomplish his purposes. Because he is God. Secondly, God does not choose to do everything he could do. He does not choose to do everything he could do. He can do whatever he chooses, but he does not choose to do everything he is capable of. We want to know why God does not intervene in all things, and I think there is a very basic answer. God could do anything he wants to do, but he does not because, number three, We choose to sin, and more importantly, we have choice. So understand this. God could do whatever he wants to do, but if God did whatever he wanted to do, what is the one thing he would have to remove from the equation in order for that to happen? Your ability to choose anything. Your ability to choose anything. How important is free will to God? Was it an accident? No. So we can only conclude that God gave us free will on purpose. Yes? Yes. That tells us primarily how important it is. But secondly, God made free will, apart from being made in the image of God, He made free will a primary characteristic of who we are, that we can choose. God could do anything, but He gave us the ability to, To choose our own course. And (laughs) unfortunately, when we have the choice, what do we most often choose? We choose ourselves. We choose sin. We most often choose to disobey God. And then... Don't we want him to come fix it for us? Yes. And this is what is so remarkable. So remarkable. We choose to rebel against God who gives us choice, so God has one more choice. And God chooses to redeem. He chooses to make you and I overcomers. If God were one of us, I think it's fair to say he would have made a different choice. If one of us were hurt in the way that God has been hurt by his creation, we would probably make another choice than redemption. But God chooses to redeem. He chooses the alternate path. He chooses to love. And it is because of this that we know that God's love for us is genuine. He wanted us to be able to choose. He gave that to us on purpose. He won't take it away from us, even though the consequences have been drastic from our ability to choose. But he responds to this rejection by choosing to redeem us. God chooses redemption. God chooses redemption. And he chooses it every time it is possible. Because at the center of the story of God in pain, there is one important figure that we cannot ignore, and that is who? Jesus. That is Jesus. The center of the story of God in pain is Jesus and the cross. There is a price that has to be paid for our bad choices. And because God chose redemption, Jesus pays that price for us. So the discussion has to come back to the cross. Yes, there is suffering. God does not stop it. Yes, our, result, our suffering is the result of our turning away from God. And short of ending everything right at this moment, God will not stop that train from rolling. We are going to continue to make bad choices because God give us, gave us the ability to choose. We still get to choose. We still have to live with these consequences. And then we want to say, but that's so unfair. It's so unfair. Why is it this way? We shout to the heavens and we go off on all the reasons why God cannot be good or loving or even exist. But we must pause and realize something. In the person of Jesus, God has suffered. We learn that God, and I don't just mean physically, God has had to go through the pain of seeing the things He created reject Him again and again and again and again. And again! again. Over and over again. But in spite of this rejection, God made a radical choice. And by doing so, God chose to suffer, get this, more. He chose to suffer more. Could God have cut off relationship with us? Would that have been less painful for him? Perhaps. We saw him do it once and it was extremely painful. And he said, I would never do that again. He chooses to take, on not to, to take on suffering to the very limit of human capacity. He takes on not just our betrayal, but every physical sensation of pain that we could throw at him. We murdered Jesus in the worst possible way we could imagine. When you died from crucifixion, you died from suffocation... And it was supposed to take, at minimum, two to three days. At minimum. And you died because you could no longer hold yourself up. And your lungs collapse inside of you. And so for however long it takes, you pull yourself against the nails to try to extend your lung capacity so that you can take one more gasp. This is the worst thing we could have invented. And this is what God experienced. And it's one of the things that I love so much about him. Theologian theologian John Stott wrote, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? In imagination, I have turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. Seems like a weird thing to say, but it's so true. Because Jesus' cross was not a cross of defeat, it was one of victory. He took the worst and he came out on top. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? And that word victory is the word Nicao. Death has lost the ability to harm us. It has been overcome, and it is because of this truth that we can each declare freedom from the ideas that unrelentingly prolong our anguish. Our suffering will be overcome. Hurt will not win. In fact, it is already lost. What do we have to say about suffering in the world? When everyone else is saying, deal with it, ignore it, Numb yourself to it. Line yourself up with the universe. We say your pain does not define you. Your suffering does not make you who you are. Because you are an overcomer. We live in a world where there is suffering, whether one believes in God or not. There is still suffering. And you can subscribe to the idea that God is not real because we suffer. And then you can live a life where all the bad that happens to you is random or meaningless. And you can be left with the emptiness that comes from that. Or you can believe in a God who does not want us to suffer. But he is a God who has suffered himself. And a God that through his suffering offers us victory over all that would dare to take the meaning out of our lives. And who, in the end, offers us his scarred hand to say, let me help you overcome this. Let me help you overcome this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. And God, one of the best things about you is that you are present whether we are in a time of blessing or whether we are in a time of dryness. Father, we don't always have answers to what's going on, to why something happened. God, I pray that you would help us to be patient and to wait for you. We live in a world that is broken, that is hurting. And there are things, God, that are going to happen. And no matter what perspective or answer we think we may need, God, may we take joy in knowing that whatever is going on, it does not make us who we are. You are the one who made us, and our redemption is what makes us who we are. And may we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in this way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.